The following is a Kingfisher Media production. We have been privileged to speak with author and producer Amber Rose Washington. In this week's episode, AC opens up with an apology. Amber talks about growing up in a place outnumbered by deer and how a 25-minute conversation about bagels with a total stranger changed her life. We hope you enjoy this week's episode of What I Like About You. Let's be honest. I tried like hell. I was a voiceover artist. I used to have a voice deeper than Darth Vader, right? (laughs) It was bizarre. It was very dysphoric for me. But I got hired to do national concert spots. You know, like they say, coming to the arena this Saturday. A lot of times that was my voice, right? It's just Mm -hmm. weird that I... Booming kind of echoey coming to this arena kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, the guy that does Monster Jam or or WrestleMania. Yeah, that was was my voice. And people hear those commercials now and they freak out. They're like, there's just no effing way that's you. No. (laughs) I said, yeah. And then and then just to, to, to make them feel like I have a demon inside of me, I go ahead and do that voice for them. This is my natural voice, right? I wake up. This is where I'm at. This is just my natural voice. But since I went through puberty the wrong way the first time, right? My my vocal folds thickened up and stretched. So that's never going to go away. So what you're hearing now is muscle memory because I was in the music business so many years. I figured out, you know, from the best vocal coaches out there, one of my vocal coaches was, was Brett Manning. And he he works, of course, with Taylor Swift and Keith Urban and Haley Williams from Paramore and all these great artists. And he really, really, you listen to him after a while and he sort of rubs off on you because he's just one of the most brilliant minds in the music business. And it was those lessons that taught me that I can do this. I, I'm i not going to have this silly voice anymore because it, it's it's terrible to look the way I do and, and then have to sound the opposite. It was horrifying. And I did that for over 20 years with stage production and you know, I, I I did the 25th reunion of Woodstock up in New York from from the 69 Woodstock show. And, you know, you have people like Stevie Nicks and Don Henley and all them on stage that I was mingling with. Uh-huh. And, I, you know, when you go out on stage and you start announcing people or doing that stuff, you got to you got to put you got to put that persona on. And yeah, yeah. And there were nights where I would go home crying. I was just so oh. I was just so like, there was this one guy, Josh Turner. I don't know if you know him. He's a country music star from, you know, a few years back. And he had the number one album for a few years, actually. And I worked with him and his voice was so deep. He was like Johnny Cash on crack. But he <laughs> he comes up to me and goes, wow, we have the same voice. And I was like, yeah. He says, so when you announce <laughs> me tonight, make sure you announce blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, well, we have the radio station here too from New York City. And, you know, we're going to do it together. Lo and behold, the guy from New York City was loaded up on Jack. And because he couldn't face an audience of 5,000 people without being loaded up on some Jack Daniels, you know. <laughs> so, wow. he, yeah. he, and I asked him, I said, well, why are you doing this? Well, don't, don't worry about it here. Take a swig. I said, I don't need a swig. He goes, how do you do it? I said, what are you talking about? You have yeah. you have an audience of 3 million people and you're sitting here doing it? He goes, you have to understand. I sit in a studio all day, all by myself staring at a freaking wall. 
I don't have to look out at 5,000 people. I said, oh, I can teach you how to get over that. And it was those encounters that led me to helping people get on American Idol to lose their to lose their stage fright, how to sing in front of a lot of people. And I had a 48-hour program that would teach you how to do it. Within 48 hours, you could do it. That's outstanding. And it was amazing. When people learn the technique, they have a whole new mindset because your high school teachers, they get it all wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. Picture them naked or or just stare at the wall behind their heads or blah, blah, blah. They practice avoidance, right? And right, that's, right. That's, that's yeah, so... you can't connect. Yeah, you can't connect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I'm standing there in, in, in one of the biggest theaters in the country and and they're asking questions like, so how, how do we do this? And I said, well, what's the problem really? What are you really afraid of? They said, there's 4,000 people going to be sitting here. Well... Actually, there's only going to be 200 people sitting here. What? Well, when the lights come on, honey, you're not going to see it all but maybe the first few rows. And that's yeah, a couple yeah. hundred people. Yeah. And the, the lights are going to be hot. Now, you are going to have boom cameras floating all over your face and all over <laughs> the stage and everywhere else distracting you. So you got to be careful of that. But you're going to focus on five or six people in the audience and you're going to sing exactly to them. And here's mm -hmm. how you do it. Don't look at their hair. Don't look at the goddamn wall behind them. Look directly into their eyes. And mm -hmm. I don't mean look into their eyes. I mean, look into their soul, like yeah. stare through their eyes. And I said, do you remember when you're in high school and your teacher picked on you by talking directly to you? How did that make you feel? And they would all answer, <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. And I said, exactly. Have you ever been to a concert where the artist actually sang to you? And they would go, oh, yeah, I did. And I said, how did that make you feel? Kind of <laughs> creepy and weird and, and excited all at the same time. And, you know, it was just, I was embarrassed. Very good. You were embarrassed. Well, what you're going to do as the artist on stage, people are listening to do, you doing something they cannot do. Mm -hmm. And you're going to turn the stage on them by staring directly into their eyes. And those five or six people you're going to sing to, are actually going to be the ones that are a little bit nervous, you know, because you're staring directly at them. And <laughs> when they would start doing that, it, it really made a world of difference for yeah. so many people. You know, we had the failures that just couldn't grasp it. And that happens. But mm -hmm. for the most part, I started doing that from my studio in New York, just getting them ra ramped up. Because as you know, maybe you don't know, 15, 20,000 people descend on a, a stadium to, to audition for these shows. Mm -hmm. But the only ones that actually audition, and I'm not talking about auditioning in front of the big stars, you know, that you see on TV. I'm talking about auditioning to a 23 year old quote unquote producer that sort of vets you first. That's, uh -huh. that's what the audition really is. And you need a wristband and there's only about 1500 of those. So you got 12, 15,000 people there. But only a, you know, a small fraction of them are actually getting a wristband. The rest of them go home without even singing one single syllable out of their mouths. They don't realize that it's, it's more like a lottery because there's no time in that weekend to get right. all of these people. Cause we have to, we have to get people from just about every city we can think of. Right. Mm -hmm. I wasn't part of the show. I was a consultant. Right. So I did, uh -huh. I did, I sort of helped people out. And it was through a, a show I did in New York with some, some of the guys from the Sopranos and Goodfellas. And, you know, it was sort of a neat, you know, six state 
competition leading up to American Idol so we could pre-vet those people. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a it was a real hoop. It really was. I was a producer on that show and it was that's what led to all those other things, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it sounds like you're like both your social life and your professional career. I mean, they forced you to bump up against like every different imaginable kind of person. And when you tell your stories, what comes through to me is that you're, you're just such like a deeply thoughtful and perceptive person. Like you just, you get these little details about strangers that I think most people miss. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is, is really, really neat. Like, I, I know that probably sounds like kind of like dismissive and stupid, but it's like, I really, really admire that quality in you. And there was something I was chatting with Alexis about, like before we sort of came on with you. And there was something that like, the more you talk, the more I feel like I can't avoid owning this with you. And I feel like a real bag of crap for even having to to own this with you. But um, what the listeners probably don't know is that I asked to be introduced to you, Amber, through a, a mutual friend of mine, Monica, who had had you on her podcast. Yeah. And my reason for wanting to talk to you was really, really superficial. I mean, like the whole idea of this show is to get to know different kinds of people. And I wasn't looking at you and thinking, well, here's an interesting person because I know anything at all about you. I had completely reduced you to the label of transgendered. I didn't Mm -hmm. look for any personality. I didn't background check you, nothing. And like, I understand if you don't want to talk to me after hearing that, I'm not looking for sympathy. It's just, you've really opened my eyes to the fact that like, even though I wasn't intending to engage in like a form of bigotry, I, I obviously I did. I, was, I don't I was, take any offense to that. I think you're, you're straight up and you're, you're a straightforward person and you tell it like it is. And I respect that uh, immensely because a lot of people won't do that. They'll sugarcoat it in front of your face and then say something else behind your back. And I enjoy paying attention to details about people before they even flap their lips. Like I already knew some of these things about you before you even said anything. And, and it's not a bad thing. It was a good thing on my part behalf because I can see that you had a learning curve thrown at you in your life with your daughter. Yeah. And you need, you sort of got thrust into this where you need to learn some things that you didn't, you were taught inaccurately throughout your whole life. And now you have to relearn stuff that you, that, that a lot of people say is fake. And it's not fake because now you're being introduced to the maybe possibly the medical community that already knows that it's not and that there, there, there's a real medical condition, just like the hundred thousand other ones that exist. And you saying the things you just said is a, it's an, it's an honest, it's an honest expose of, of how you see the world and, and how you're starting to see it differently as you learn new things. And I, I respect that and admire that. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize your you as as someone that's that's bigoted, and I think that's the wrong word to use for you, uh, completely. I, I don't really, mean to make you like, cry. You're going to make me cry again. No, oh just my like, god! I, I, I don't think Everybody I, together, let's do. cry. Oh yeah, my god! What we do. Oh. I, I don't <laughs> know if I deserve now. this kindness from you, and 
but that's Honestly, what I do. I, I, I find you, the good in everybody. And I think no matter what we know or don't know that at the, at, you know, if you're willing to have a conversation with somebody, you know, there's something inside of you that, that, that allows that to happen, whether you know it or not, because we're all controlled by our subconscious and you're just painfully unaware of that your subconscious really does want to learn. And the reason that you're doing this show, what I like about you to show diversity in different people, whether it's, whether it's transgender or some other topic, right? Mm-hmm. These are, these are admirable things that you're doing to, to bring together disparate pieces of society to speak their personal stories to, to the two of you. And I think it's a wonderful concept that you guys have going. And I hope your audience grows immensely. And you just, you have me and I, I view myself pretty boring, but you know, but you know, you guys, you guys have an opportunity here. Thank you for listening to what I like about you. Please remember to like, follow and share. I tell people all the time, we want, you know, everybody wants to change the world, but they always think they need to do the big things to change the world. And I tell people, no, you just need to change one person at a time. It's these little course corrections that over time end up being very big ones, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things I tell people about the first thing I say to me is, you know, I was switched at birth and they go, oh, Oh my God, you were? And I said, yeah, for me, it was like realizing you were switched at birth, but instead of being given to the wrong family, I was given to the wrong body. Mm-hmm. And and they're like, oh, that's interesting. And that's where these conversations sort of evolve into something something a little more fruitful. And And I can sort of bridge those gaps with stories of the music business. Like, one of the most fabulous stories I have of the music business, and I don't want to bore you with it, but it's such a good story. And I think your listeners would love it. There, there was a show in the late eighties. It might've even been 1990. I went to New York city by myself for the first time. And I had four packets with me. And in those packets were four of the best songs that I have written and had produced in a studio and they were on cassette tapes. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe your listeners can Google what a cassette tape is. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I went to the city and I got there early cause girl, I wanted to get there. I wanted to get there first cause I wanted yeah. a front seat. I'm from this small town where the deer <laughs> are louder than the people. And I wanted to just make a voice for myself. I got there a half hour earlier than everyone else. The security guard opens the door. And he says, would you like to come in? I said, am I allowed to? He goes, no, but come on in. I went in, put my stuff on the front on the front chair. And I noticed in the back of the room, there's a thousand seats in this ballroom, by the way, right? It's a uh-huh. huge yeah. ballroom. And in the back, there's this huge spread, this table. And on the table is probably every type of New York bagel you could probably ever get your hands on and coffee mm. and all sorts of stuff. And I made my way over there and I can't figure out, can you believe it? Here I am in New York about to meet the biggest producers in the world. And I can't figure out what freaking bagel I want. Right. <laughs> so this older lady walks up to me as people start pouring in and she says, Oh, it's a bitch, isn't it? And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, it is. I can't figure out what bagel I want. I said, I'm particular to everything in salt bagel. She goes, good choice. And so we're talking about bagels. She goes, hi, my name is Anne. I said, Oh, hi, Anne. 
my name is, and of course, we already know Eddie, right? So she goes, hi, where are you from? I said, well, you wouldn't know. I'm from the Catskill regions in New York. She goes, oh, gross singers and and dirty dancing. You guys like were the, the hub of everything back in the day. And I, of course, <laughs> I know, you know, you had all these crazy stars that came from you, like Jerry Lewis and Sid Caesar and Joan Rivers and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm like, so we hit it off and you know, she says, are you here to, to, to pitch your music? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know who she was, but I segued back to bagels. I said, you know, I like the salt bagel better and blah, blah, blah. And we start talking for 25 minutes after the 25 minutes. I said, well, I'm going to go sit down. And she says, listen, if you want, I'll take one of those packets from you. And whether I like it or not, I promise you, I just think you're a doll. I will call you no matter what, whether I like it or not. Now, I'm looking at this older lady going in the back of my head, no effing way am I giving you one of my packets. I only got four of these bad girls to go. I'm not not doing this. (laughs) Uh So I give it to her because there's no way I'm going to like humiliate her here. So I I hand her a packet. I go sit down. Oh, and before I go sit down, a woman taps her on the back and says, Anne, your keynote speech is in like five minutes. We got to get you mic'd up. And I'm like, who the hell was I just talking to? Right? <laughs> yeah. Keynote? Like she's going to give the keynote? So I go up to my seat and the guy it sort of elbows me and says, how did you get Ann Ruckard to, to, to take your portfolio? And I said, I didn't. She asked for mine. He goes, no way. You got to be the luckiest person in this whole room. And I, I could not figure out why. And before I could even try to figure out why, the lights come up on stage and guy from ASCAP comes out and he says, certainly a woman that needs no introduction, Uh except for me, right? (laughs) He needs no introduction whatsoever, but I'm going to give it to you straight, just like like she deserves. She sits on the board of governors currently. She's the vice president of the Grammy Awards. And I'm like freaking out already. And she created the Jazz Foundation of America. She's worked with the likes of Barbara Streisand, Aretha Franklin, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Sting, Madonna, you know, Suzanne Vega, all these people. And I'm, I'm freaking out at this point. Now I'm shaking because I'm like, holy shit, I just gave this to like the best person possible. And yeah, we talked about bagels for 20 minutes. And yeah. We talked about <laughs> bagels, right? And, and so, you know, without further ado, here she is and everybody gives her a standing ovation and, and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, she called me back that Monday. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be at work. I worked at a college in upstate New York. And my mom calls me. She goes, sweetheart, I really need you to listen to this. This is kind of important. She holds the phone up to the answering machine. Again, once once again, your listeners are going to have to Google another word. Yeah, answering <laughs> machine. So, so she, she holds the phone up to the answering machine and says, this is Ann Ruckert. I'm calling from the office of Quincy Jones. I met Eddie at the conference this past Friday. And I just wanted to call and say, I enjoyed the music. You got to call me back at 212, blah, 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 blah. And I dropped the phone. I ran out of my office. I didn't even tell my boss where I was going. And I went home. I listened to this thing 14 more times. And then and then finally got the courage to call her. And she said she loved the music and whatnot. And she goes, the reason I'm calling you, sweetheart, do you know why? And I said, why? And she goes, because you're the only person there that didn't ask me for something. You were talking about bagels with me for nearly a half an hour 
and you didn't mention, can you please take my packet? Right? She assumed I knew her, right? I was about to admit that I, I wasn't going to tell her. I didn't know who the hell you were, lady. <laughs> so instead, I said, I said, okay, you know, here it is. And I, I, you know, from there, I went on to a whole bunch of things in the music business because of her. She was just a sweetheart. She died a couple years ago, but what a, what a, what a sweetheart and what a great story that was. You are listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. The point that sticks out to me the most is that you two bonded over bagels, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you, yeah, be, because it was such a simple transaction, a simple conversation, like you were able to humanize each other. And I think that that's something that a lot of people forget to do when they when they have a need or a fear and or an insecurity or an agenda or something you know like years ago yeah. I, I i used to cross the the canada u.s border like several times a week and i was always getting harassed by the the border agents and i talked to a, a tra- traveling businessman who said like what i've learned is that if you just sit there staring straight ahead, you hand them your passport and it's yes or no, sir, they're going to treat you like somebody crossing the border. But if you smile at them and say, hi, how are you doing today? You become a person in their eyes and they're going to treat you differently. People want to treat people well. They don't treat, you know, labels, you know, like stranger, yeah. Uh, yeah. client, whatever, like we need to humanize each other in so many different ways. And honestly, like I, I feel like this conversation with you today, it's, it, it really has humanized you from, from my perspective. I'm not seeing your labels so much as a person with, with rich experiences. And, you know, like I, I talked to my ex-wife, my, my oldest kids, mom, you know, when we had originally chatted with you to find out like, Hey, do you have any questions? We've got this like trans woman author coming on the show. And we had all these questions about like how to understand our kid and everything like that. And, you know, as we got closer to today, I started thinking less and less in terms of like looking for your perspective as like a spokesman for the trans community or as a trans woman, it just, I started just more and more thinking of you in terms of she in my mind, you know, you're, I wasn't wondering about your dead name. I wasn't wondering about what was it like growing up as, as Eddie or whatever. It, it just, yeah, that's you, beautiful. You, you were just, you were just Amber. And I, mm-hmm. I love that I've been able to experience that you know that's my selfish little takeaway on this whole thing and you know as we come into the last few minutes that we have together here and like honestly Amber, i could talk to you like all bloody day like you're just <laughs> yeah, so yeah, great you're to really, talk to you really fun to listen to oh yeah. thank you but thank um you. what we like to do at the end of an episode is we sort of like go around we've, we've all come into this conversation effectively as strangers and normally i put alexis on the hot spot and and, and ask her, okay, well, what do you like about our guest? But today I, I, I want to just throw myself on, on the hook there. And like, Amber, what I like about you is your, your transparency, your, your authenticity, 
your relatability. I love the way you communicate employing metaphors that allow even thick-headed people like me to grasp fairly complex and seemingly unrelatable uh, subjects. I really, really appreciate you. And from the bottom of my heart, I, I am so thrilled to have met you. Oh, you're going to make me cry again. God, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> no, oh, here really they come. Great. It, it wow. really has been great. It, it's been great. It's been great to just have, you know, a conversation and just, you know, not just hear about, you know, your transformation and things like that, but, but just who you are and, you know, your, the things that you've accomplished, the people that you've met, the experiences that you've had, these have taught you so much. And, and, you know, it, again, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we've got down there. It's like, we all have hearts. We all have minds. We all have abilities. It's like, you know, and we all have each other. And quite frankly, you know, being transgender doesn't define me, right. It's just part of my existence. And, you know, for the record, I'm post-operative transgender. I've had all the surgeries and I'm, you know, an anatomically correct at this point. And, you know, that's a blessing in itself. And, and people that don't understand it can't possibly fathom how wonderful that feels. It's almost like a kid that was born without a left leg that suddenly can walk, you know, with, with a prosthetic leg or something, except this is, you know, very, very, I don't like to fixate on reproductive organs or genitals or anything like that. But for me, that was a sticky point for me. Like every transgender person is different, you know, but with me, that, that part of my body was really, really disruptive to me and mm-hmm. having, I like to term it as, as an, an Audi turned into an innie, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and my innie is, is bio identical to any, as if I was born with it. I mean, it's, there's no difference. Uh, Most doctors can't tell the difference, right? So, you know, it's amazing where we've come in this world. And I've, I've been transitioning since I was 21 by other means and then stop, start, stop, start, stop. And then finally later in life, you know, I finally amassed the courage that I needed to not worry about being murdered. Like I would see on TV not being fired. You know, I was, I had enough money in my pocket at the time that if I did get fired because of this, you know, I, I could still survive it. And then, then there was the thing that I had kids and I had, I had really irrational thoughts about how my kids would handle this. And quite honestly, every single child from that big age spectrum handled it beautifully, absolutely beautifully. I, I think we're pointing sort of in the right direction finally, but we've got a long way to go. I think people like you who are willing to put your voice out there, share your perspective. And of course, writing your book, I, I think it's it's things like that that really help accelerate the journey towards getting to where we need to be. Um, just in closing here, like if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about you or if they want to find your book, do you have a website or somewhere yeah. where they could go to do that? Yeah. So uh, my publisher had me create a website as well. It's amberrosewashington.com. And that gives you all sorts of information of, of, of who I am. And my book is available everywhere books are sold, right? I'm in 37 countries, I think, right now. Wow. And awesome. 
obviously everybody seems to gravitate to Amazon. So, you know, Amazon, go to Amazon, get the book, leave me a review. And people think that I wrote it for the trans community. No, I wrote this book for what we call the cisgender community. Cisgender Mm -hmm. meaning on the same side of, meaning congruent, meaning the two of you are cisgender, whereas Mm -hmm. I am transgender, right? So Mm -hmm. I wrote it for people so they can get a better understanding of what this really is from a real humanistic standpoint, rather than, you know, dictating to people, just show them, let them laugh, let them cry, because I don't take myself very seriously. I let them laugh, let them cry, let them smile, let them frown. And, and I, I do these, these quotes all, all the time to, to, to people, you know, whoever they are. And some of them, if you don't mind, I, I want to say two of them. One of them is for people of all types. Doesn't matter if you're trans or not, but this, this means a lot to a lot of people. Apparently I've been getting a lot of good things on this quote. Facing a world that doesn't understand you is far easier than forever being its prisoner. So face it with unapologetic determination. Hmm. That goes for anybody, you know, for just about any walk of life. It could mean something to to you. And the other one is, I promise to breathe that fresh hope each day. Knowing hope is the promise of life. So breathe in that good-ass prana every day, baby. <laughs> and prana is from Hinduism, and mm-hmm. it means the, the, the life force that surrounds us, the, the air that you're breathing, the, the, the fresh air you're breathing, the good foods that you're eating. You know, breathe that in every day because that's really the source of life. And the, the problems that we think we have in this three-dimensional space are, are so trivial and life is so short. Yeah. A lot of the ideologies are very, very, what's the word? Exclusionary, if you will. Mm. Yeah. Instead, we should learn four letters, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Hmm. If we could <laughs> learn to do that more often in society, we'd be a whole lot better off and in a better place to live, you know, because- mm-hmm. I assure you, nobody in a transgender community is trying trying to hurt little girls in the bathroom. That's never yeah, happened right. in the history of history. Uh, <laughs> we're not freaks. We don't have a lifestyle. I mean, I just have a life. And you yeah. hurt part of my life just now. It's, it's a success story. And it's a, a sad story. And it's a funny story. And it's everything else in between. So mm-hmm. that's... Yeah. I represent the human story. <laughs> yeah, I resent yeah. I, I I represent humanity. You know, I may be trans, but I'm just another part of the human condition. That's it. You know? Well, Amber Rose Washington, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Yeah. I would encourage Likewise. every single one of our listeners go to your local bookstore, support local business. If you can't do that, then at least go to Amazon, buy Hiding from Myself, My Complicated Rebirth into Womanhood and My Own Skin. While I haven't read this book yet, I certainly intend to. I've read dozens and dozens of reviews. Everybody seems to say the same thing. This is a must read and nothing short of a masterpiece. Educate yourself, inform yourself learn how to accept, appreciate, and love these people that maybe you've brushed to the side, maybe you've been convinced are deserving of your hate or your animosity. If we learned anything today, it's that like none of that is well-deserved. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. And, and um, in, in closing, 
the the folks that did review the book, you know, people like Colin Mockery of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Because he has a trans daughter, uh, just like you do, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those other folks that are that are doing that. I was interviewed by NBC, CBS, and Fox just the past two weeks. So because of that, the ebook, the Kindle version, is ninety nine cents for the next week. It's we're going to have it for oh, ninety nine wow. cents. So, cool. the, but if you want the paperback, it's still twenty dollars. But the mm-hmm. the the Kindle version is on on sale right now for ninety nine cents. So get out there and you know if you want it, there you go. Yeah, you can't <laughs> afford not yeah. to. Come on, ninety nine cents. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was a pleasure to talk to both of you. You guys are wonderful, both of you. It was great, Amber. Thank you for coming. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Meeting Amber has changed me in ways I can't adequately describe in the time I've got here. I came into the conversation totally unaware of what it means to be transgendered. And to be completely honest, there were some things about the experiences or perspectives of people like Amber that I refused to even look at. In the time since we recorded this conversation, Amber has stayed in contact with me, showing herself to be nothing short of a true friend. Because of her, I've been able to gain a deeper connection with my own daughter. I want to offer my sincere gratitude both to Amber and also to her father, Robert Washington, who has shown by example the kind of dad I want to be 